Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. More money is on the way to help fund critical fixes to the state's new license and registration system known as MINLARS. The House and Senate compromised on a plan Thursday to provide nearly $10 million in immediate funds to work on fixing the system. It also requires strict oversight to make sure the fixes stay on track and the money is spent properly. Lawmakers took out a provision requiring Governor Dayton to pull the money from other state agencies. Governor Dayton is still asking for $33 million more to make Minlars fully functional. An effort to get two gun control bills to the House floor failed in separate votes in the Public Safety Committee this week. One called for stricter background checks. The other would have allowed police or family members to get restraining orders to keep certain people from possessing a firearm if they're deemed dangerous. This is a common sense step that's already used in other states. They have lower levels of domestic violence fatalities, lower levels of suicide by firearm, etc. And it's supported by the great majority of Minnesotans. Both bills are unlikely to be revived this session because of committee deadlines for policy bills to pass by this week. The hearing was packed with gun control advocates who were not happy with the votes. Seven I nine nay the bill does not the motion does not pass. How do you people sleep at night? Vote them out! Vote them out! What I've learned in my years down here, if we act quick and on emotion, we usually get it wrong. Let's be very careful how we do things to make sure that we do it right. The House Public Safety Chair says Minnesota already has strong gun control laws that work fine as long as they're enforced. A push to extend DWI penalties to snowmobiles and ATVs is getting strong support at this Capitol. A House committee passed a bill this week to revoke driving privileges on snowmobiles and ATVs for one year after a driver is convicted of a DWI in any vehicle. This comes after the death of 8-year-old Alan Geisenketter, Jr. He was hit by a snowmobiler in Chisago County in January and died several days later. The snowmobile driver was already facing DWI charges. We spoke with his grandfather at the hearing. People got to be accounted for for what they do, and whether it's in a car, any kind of motor vehicle. The bill also has support from the DNR and groups representing snowmobile and ATV drivers. In Minnesota, we are required by law to cover all family members and children in a vehicle. However, that is not the case in a boat. As Jessica Miles explains, a Twin Cities woman is vowing to change insurance law after a boating accident last fall severed her foot. Enjoying a day on the water last September, Courtney Godfrey fell out of her family's boat. The propeller severed her foot. The insurance company had an out. Six months later, she continues to recover with the help of a prosthetic leg and a passion to change Minnesota boating law. Despite having full liability coverage on our boat and a substantial umbrella policy over that, my husband was informed that I was not covered for no other reason than the fact that we were married. The ice may still layer the lakes, but she wants boaters to know now Minnesota insurance companies are not required to include children or families in boat policies. And, she says, not required to tell you about the exclusion. And so it's a loophole that exists. Uh, and until that loophole is fixed uh, through legislation, hopefully this session, 
Minnesota families really aren't protected. It's why she has reached out to lawmakers hoping for change. To most families that have a boat, they're not aware of this. And so this is an opportunity to make sure that that is uh, talked about. Mark Calda is with the Insurance Federation of Minnesota. He fears law changes could mean higher premiums on boat insurance and more fraud. Our concern is that this could lead to the land of 10,000 lawsuits. We could see a lot more lawsuits, many of which would be fraudulent. Godfrey hopes the Minnesota Family Protection Act will close the boat coverage loophole protecting families. In a state where there are more than 800,000 registered boats and where the people on your boat are more often than not your family, we need to do better. Jessica Miles, 5 Eyewitness News. Now, there is watercraft medical payments coverage that will cover injuries to spouses and children on your boat. However, we're told the maximum amount that could be paid out is $10,000. The Insurance Federation says you should call your individual insurance agent if you have questions about this. We saw a major development this week in the shooting death of Justine Damon at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. The Hennepin County attorney charged now former officer Mohammed Noor with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. Damon called 911 to report a possible sexual assault behind her South Minneapolis home last July. Prosecutors say Noor acted recklessly when he fired his gun across his partner, striking Damon outside the squad car. In the short time between when Ms. Damon Ruschek approached the squad car and the time that Officer Noor fired the fatal shot, there is no evidence that Officer Noor encountered a threat, appreciated a threat, investigated a threat, or confirmed a threat that justified his decision to use deadly force. Noor left jail Wednesday night after posting bail. If convicted, he faces 35 years in prison. Although Damon's family and supporters say they're relieved Noor was charged, a conviction is anything but certain. State law sets a vague standard for determining when a police officer legitimately fears for his or her life before using deadly force. One state lawmaker I talked to says he'd like to set a more objective standard, but even that might be impossible. Reaches across in front of his partner, shoots a gun and an object that he can't see. Hennepin County Attorney Mike That's Freeman made it clear he thinks evidence shows Officer Mohammed Noor acted recklessly before using deadly force. Noor has refused to speak to investigators about what happened in an alley the night he shot Justine Damon, but his defense is likely to be he feared for his life. So Representative John Lesh, a former prosecutor, says state law gives a lot of latitude for that defense. Under the law, it still has to be reasonable. Um, but if you have no other testimony to suggest the unreasonableness of it, you've got a jury willing to go with someone who's wearing a uniform and that's their job to patrol the alley. Last year, Lesh says he floated the idea in the legislature of changing the standard to a more objective definition of reasonable. So a reasonable person in those circumstances, if you heard a loud noise on the back of your car, would you have drawn a weapon and, been, and have been ready to shoot someone? Lesh said he thinks a reasonable juror would say no. He says changing the standard would get tremendous pushback from law enforcement. So under current law, a police officer saying he or she fears for their life is a powerful argument in court. That's how they portray it to a jury. That's how they portray it to their supervisors. Um, and who are you to say they weren't afraid?
is going to be the answer. So yes, it will be difficult, I think, for them to get the conviction in this. There are other ideas that have actually made it into bills that have been introduced to the Capitol. One calls for a state prosecutor, a special prosecutor, who would oversee prosecution of any officer-involved shooting rather than have county attorneys do it. Another calls for better training for police officers to de-escalate situations before deadly force is used. None of these, though, are likely to pass this session. Former Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty is taking more steps towards possibly launching another run for the office of governor. This week, Pawlenty created a campaign committee for the 2018 election. He still hasn't formally filed to run for office. Pawlenty served as governor from 2003 to 2011. He recently resigned as the CEO of the Financial Services Roundtable in Washington, D.C. A former House Speaker and candidate for governor is up for a spot on the Minnesota Supreme Court. Paul Thiessen is one of four finalists for the vacancy. Thiessen has been a state representative since 2003 and served as House Speaker from 2013 to 15. He ran for the DFL endorsement in the governor's race but dropped out earlier this year. Other candidates include Judges Lucinda Jessen, Jeffrey Bryan, and Bradford Della Pena. The finalist will replace Justice David Strauss, who was appointed to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. More than a month after the deadly school shooting in Parkland, Florida, some students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School were in Minnesota this week. The school's hockey team competed in a national tournament in Plymouth. A moment of silence was held before the team's first game on Thursday. We just got to remember like, what we're playing for and what like this means to us and the community and like friends back home. Team members also joined local students in a march to the Capitol in St. Paul on Saturday in support of the March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. Up next, we have Brian Melendez and Annette Meeks here for political analysis. And now that we're one month into the legislative session, we look at which bills still have a chance of becoming law and those that are likely dead for the session. We've now passed a crucial deadline one month into the legislative session. Any bill that hasn't passed through at least one committee is likely dead for the session. That's bad news if you're hoping for stricter gun control laws, but good news if you want to ban handheld cell phone use in vehicles. Seven, I, nine, nay, the bill does not, the motion does not pass. When the House Public Safety Committee voted down two gun control bills, Supporters who packed the hearing room were not happy. How do you people sleep at night? The lack of action on gun control led to this die-in staged by high school students outside the House chambers on Thursday. People who support a bill that would only allow hands-free cell phone use remain optimistic, including the bipartisan authors. People from across the state of Minnesota have demanded this law and we will deliver this year. So on the checklist of bills under consideration this session, it appears gun control is out. But the hands-free cell phone bill still has a chance, while school safety legislation is also still moving. A bill that would restrict protests that block highways or airport access is also still alive for the second year in a row. So is a bill that would expand firework sales beyond novelty items and legalize sale of firecrackers and bottle rockets. But legislation sought by Democrats like paid family leave and safe and sick time bills seem to be dead. 
However, in the House Public Safety Committee, deadline day brought passage of a bill increasing penalties for assaulting a police officer. I think if we raise it to a felony, it'll hopefully it'll stop some of the nonsense that's going on against the law enforcement community these days. Now, just because many of these bills remain alive doesn't mean they will become law. There's another deadline coming up one week from today to narrow the number of bills even further if they haven't made any progress. And joining me now for political analysis, Brian Melendez and Annette Meeks. Thank you both for being here. Uh, let's start by talking about some of these bills that will or won't become law. And despite all of the attention after the shooting down in Florida about gun control, uh, it appears nothing is likely to happen in terms of gun control here in Minnesota. Well, I think one of the things we have going for us in Minnesota is very responsible gun ownership. But frankly, a lot of the laws we have on the books nationally aren't being enforced. You look at all the murders that occur in Chicago, 60% of those guns are bought in other states. How are we going to regulate that? I think most of our legislators are looking at this with a pretty common sense approach, which is we hunt. We, we have a, a long tradition of hunting. That's what our guns are used for, and we have pretty responsible regulations. And your view on this, Brian, is it is it Republicans are saying it's not so much about gun control, it's about mental health issues and making schools safer? Well, it's about both. And it is a little surprising. So I grew up in Florida, which is a very odd state. And it's a little surprising to me that they can pass a bill and we can't. I think part of the problem is that it, it does need to be about mental health, but we're, we're really not taking care of the front end of it either. But it also needs to be about responsible gun control. I think the issue is there is not a single solution that has emerged where, where there's a consensus about it. I think if there were, a bill might have a better chance here. Now, the shooter in Florida did pass a background check. Uh, there was another school shooting this week where there was a handgun used, and it was a legally owned handgun. He obviously shouldn't have had it in school. But that does come back to the issue of mental health and responsible gun use. And there's actually some pretty good bills moving through the legislature this year to address some of the school mental health. They're bipartisan in nature. Um, I know that uh, Rep or Senator Senjem in the Senate is moving a comprehensive mental health to make sure we have more emergency beds available. I, I think the other problem they had in Florida that we will have to address in every other state is, frankly, when there are cries for help, as there were down in the Florida shooter's home, you've got to pay attention to those and take them seriously. And, Brian, it does sound like the, the one area where Republicans and Democrats agree is more money to make schools safer uh, in terms of literally the, the physical buildings. Right. I, I think there are going to be some solutions that emerge. Uh, uh, the Parkland shooting was, was very recent. There has not been time for a, for a consensus to develop, but I think that may be one of the first areas where you do see that consensus. And by a year from now, I think many states will have enacted legislation, and hopefully we will too. And let's talk a little bit about the Minlar's funding uh, that's been dragged out for week after week here in the month of March. Uh, finally passed nearly $10 million to continue trying to fix that licensing and registration system. Uh, Democrats say Republicans were dragging their feet, and Republicans were saying, look it, we've already spent $93 million on what many consider a boondoggle. We want to make sure every penny is accounted for. I think it was a good accountability measures that were put in this bill, especially the hiring of an auditor ongoing, so that as they spend what they guess is $40 more million of tax dollars, somebody's going to be keeping an eye on that and making sure real progress is happening, not just putting good money after, after bad. Brian, do Republicans... Uh, have a right to, to say, look, we didn't want to rush this money through because we want to make sure it's accounted for. I think they do, and, and I think it never makes sense to want less accountability. 
Um, so I, I actually think that the Republican position that this needs to be carefully monitored and that we've already spent a lot of money, we don't want to throw, uh, we don't want to throw good money after bad, that actually seems pretty reasonable to me. Uh, some say they could have acted quicker, though, that they wanted to grandstand for a few weeks. Was there some of that going on, do you think? In the in legislature? <laughs> does, does that actually happen? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Hard to imagine. 30 seconds left. Tim Pawlenty, uh, is he going to run for governor or not? Uh, this is the slowest rollout of a, a run for governor any of us have ever seen. And we're all talking about it, aren't we? I think he's going to run, and I think he's going to be a superior candidate. And your thoughts? Uh, I, I think he has already run. Um, I, I'm not sure he's the best candidate the Republicans could pick. He, you know, Mike Hatch had him soundly beat for his second term until he didn't. Yes, so we'll see. Uh, we think we'll know here in the next couple of weeks what uh, Tim Pawlenty actually plans to do, Annette. And Brian, thanks for being here. Coming up and face off the Facebook data scandal that's now become part of the Russia investigation. We'll discuss that with Mike Erlinson and Brian McDaniel coming up next. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar wants a full investigation after reports a data mining firm misused Facebook user information during the 2016 election. They basically are profiting off our democracy. Um, so that's why we need rules in place. And then if people have broken rules that already exist, uh, then they need to be held accountable. A whistleblower claims the firm Cambridge Analytica sold information from more than 50 million user profiles as part of its work with President Trump's campaign. Special counsel Robert Mueller is now looking into possible connections between the firm and the Trump campaign. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg apologized for the incident and the company has suspended Cambridge Analytica. Just when you think that the Russia investigation can't get any more complicated, along comes Cambridge Analytica. Joining me now to sort out the whole mess and explain it all to us in detail, Mike Erlinson <laughs> and Brian McDaniel, not to put too much pressure on you. No. But uh, President Trump is the uh, leader of your party. Uh, what do you make of all of this when it comes to the Russian uh, investigation? Do any Americans even understand anymore what is going on with this investigation? Well, I'll, I'll deal with your first comment on another day. Um, but no, I don't think people understand because, frankly, there really hasn't been anything. Just any issue that pops up um, all of a sudden becomes part of the Russia probe. The, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, if it is that, it is a Facebook scandal. It is a Cambridge Analytica scandal. It's not even really a Trump scandal. Obama used the same information. He just had permission from Facebook. The only thing that was different is that Cambridge Analytica used the this information without permission. There are a couple people with Russian names attached to it, but other than that, I mean, this is another thing that is a, it's a road to nowhere. And data mining is a, is a big issue, especially when you, as the person who's being mined, doesn't know it's, it's happening. Uh, so is much more being made about this because it might involve Trump and it might involve the Russia investigation? Well, there's no question much more is being made out of it, right? I mean, I think Paul Thiessen is going to bring up his privacy legislation again in Minnesota. I mean, what's important is Minnesotans' privacy on the Internet is protected. Now, can a bad actor break the rules as what we saw happen? Yes, right? And the fact that it kind of brings us back to talking about Donald Trump and the Russians is also probably not a surprise, right? You know, the Facebook situation aside, there's no question that um, there's an issue here. Uh, whether or not it's a prosecutable issue for the president or members of his team is too soon to be told, right? But they're very closely tied. I mean, there was an uproar this week when the president called to congratulate him on winning an election that it was pretty clear that, you know, Putin probably stole the election, right? I um, mean, you know, he, he one by one took care of all of the candidates, either got them out of the race or made them, you know, impossible. So we have a president that sort of does 
diplomacy by firing your Secretary of State because he tries to do things right and then, uh, you know, going on Internet and tweeting away? There, there's little doubt that uh, the in elections in Russia are not democratic like we know them here, yeah, no. although we wonder about our own elections here now. But uh, so should he have made that phone call and should he have made it public what he said? No. I mean, I mean, my head hurts. It seems like something that even if you have 100% faith that Vladimir Putin did nothing wrong, great guy, drinking buddy, whatever, you have to know this is going to look really, really bad. But I don't think he cares. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think he cares. And there's some grander plan, of course, always, that none of us are privy to. And somehow this always gets us talking about what he wants us to talk to as opposed to what other people want to talk about. And, and final thing, in about 45 seconds, just in the last week or so, his uh, economic advisor is out, his national security advisor is out, Secretary of State is out. Uh, where is all this leading? Does anybody have any idea? Well... If there is, as Brian points out, a grander plan, uh, nobody that works for Donald Trump knows what that plan is, and I don't think Donald Trump knows what that plan is, right? He clearly is running the country by the seat of his pants, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Again, calling Putin wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but the rest of the world looks at this and says, what's going on in the United States of America? Just uh, 10 seconds left. Is this going to hurt Republicans down the ballot, including here in Minnesota, the, the president's behavior? I think yes, nationally, much less so in Minnesota. All right, well, we'll be keeping an eye on it because every day there's something new. Something Brian new. and Mike, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Up next, history at the NCAA basketball tournament made a Minnesota man a bit wealthier thanks to a local baseball team. We'll explain coming up. State lawmakers got their fair share of puppy love at the Capitol this week. The Animal Humane Society brought dozens of dogs for a visit on Thursday to celebrate National Puppy Day. The group says it cares for more than 23,000 animals every year and they help thousands more through programs for people and pets. And the St. Paul Saints made good on their promise this week to pay up after a historic NCAA upset. You'll recall the team tweeted it would give away $10,000 if a number 16 seed team upset a number one seed in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Well, that happened when the University of Maryland, Baltimore County beat top-seeded Virginia last week. The Saints picked a winner from the thousands of people who retweeted them, and that winner, Kurt McKay from Centerville. Congratulations to him. A reminder, you can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on our website. Just head to the At Issue page at KSTP.com. And that's all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.